You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. It never occurred to me before I started preparing this sermon that uh, the devil may not have known precisely who Jesus was when he started to tempt him. This is a kind of pre-preach, just a little interesting fact for you. But uh, I was just, you know, reading and some of the church fathers suggested that the devil didn't know, the devil only began to become aware that Jesus might be someone really, really special at his baptism when this voice came from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then suddenly his satanic sort of feelers are out going, hang on a minute, I've missed something really important. And then the whole temptation unfolds. And there's a really interesting uh, kind of fulfillment to that idea in at, um, the end of what Jesus says, the very last thing he says in this, in, uh, this temptation, um, do not put the Lord your God to the test, is his reply to the devil, which is quite apt, isn't it? If the devil didn't know that Jesus was God incarnate, he just thought he was some special man. It's kind of like a drop-the-mic moment, isn't it, for, for Jesus? Um, anyway, just a little interesting aside, um, something that caught my attention while I was reading it. But um, I, I want to preach this morning just on um, two fairly simple points, really. And uh, the, the first is, I feel like God would ask us to take spiritual warfare seriously. And um, the Apostle Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I do not run as one running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. And those, I think, are quite almost kind of comical uh, pictures in our uh, heads. Someone running aimlessly. You can imagine someone running around a field like, are they going to this corner? Are they going towards the goal? Are they going to the side? You know, sort of going all over the place. And a boxer fighting the air is sort of like, that's kind of a comical picture in itself, isn't it? Like someone lashing out at an unseen enemy. But I want to put it to you this morning that for many Christians, that is precisely our approach to spiritual warfare. We feel that we're under attack. We, we go through life and various things happen to us, but we don't take a consistent and measured and disciplined approach to fighting the enemy. And I think the first thing that this passage suggests to us, really, in the fact that the Spirit led Jesus into the desert, is that for us as Christians, we should take a disciplined and purposeful and deliberate approach to fighting the enemy. Wouldn't you agree? So rather than being passive and just letting things happen to us and then going, oh, what should my response be? We should actually be active and disciplined and see how can I go about defeating the enemy before he attacks? And you know, I just don't think many Christians are uh, asking that question. So the Bible tells us really clearly that we are we should expect spiritual warfare. The devil is a thief and a liar. He steals, kills, and destroys. That's what Jesus says. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against unseen forces. Paul says we have an enemy that is deliberate and malicious and personal. He is personal. There is a devil, not just a, a kind of embodied force of evil. Personal, persistent, and powerful. And yet, for many of us, we just sort of sit back and wait for the attacks to come. And many of us will experience those attacks in our own lives. We'll experience it as a temptation to sin, which is kind of, I guess you could say, like the big topic this morning. Temptation to sin. But also in terms of psychological effects, we'll be tempted to despair. When uh, we're going about God's business and we'll suddenly get this overwhelming feeling of, what is the point? You know, is it all going to come to nothing? What's the point of obeying God? What's the point of loving someone in this way? Isn't it all going to come to nothing? We'll we'll experience psychological warfare. We'll experience spiritual warfare. Sometimes uh, fits of uh, kind of depression can come upon us. Fits of feeling distant from God. And we just kind of sit there and take it. 
Sometimes we, uh, we're tempted to doubt. Even mature Christians sometimes, you know, wake up one morning and go, what if it's not real? Where does that come from? That's not coming from you, is it? That's coming from outside of you. So we see this so clearly, and yet for many Christians, we make almost no preparation for fight. We make no training at all. You know, you wouldn't turn up to a marathon. Well, some people do, but you guys wouldn't because you're sensible. You wouldn't turn up to a marathon and uh, having done no preparation at all. You wouldn't go to fight on the front line of a war, you know, not knowing one end of a rifle from the other. Well, hopefully you wouldn't. So I think that's God's first challenge to us this morning, and I think it's his word to us as a church that really we should really take seriously taking the fight to the enemy. That's what Jesus did. The Holy Spirit, this is kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to face down the devil. And we should cooperate with that in our own lives as well. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you to face down the devil. And if you begin to understand that in your life, your life as, lives as Christians will make a lot more sense because temptation is going to come. Temptation to, sp- to despair and to doubt and all those other things is going to come. But if you think it's just, if you just take it like a victim and why, ha- why is this happening to me, then it's going to be kind of confusing. But if you think, actually, what if God is leading me to this point so that I can face down the devil, then things are going to make a lot more sense. That's, that's, I think, you know, what God would say to us firstly this morning. So he wants us to identify with Christ. As Murray said at the very beginning of the service, Lent is a time when traditionally Christians have identified with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Not as some kind of weird kind of like, you know, to make ourselves feel bad. But to draw on his strength, to acknowledge that spiritual warfare is a real thing. It's going to be there not just 40 days a year, but 365 days a year. And you're going to face it. And if you're going to face it well, then you should train well. So, just a very simple first point is this. Are you taking that preparation seriously? God would challenge us this morning to, I I think at this time of year, it's not too late. I know Wednesday's been Shrove Tuesday. Yeah, no. What did I say? Wednesday is Shrove Tuesday. Shrove Tuesday's been and gone. Beginning of Lent has been and gone. But it's not too late to think, actually, I'm going to take this really seriously and I'm going to spend the next 40 days uh, up to Easter. I'm going to take it really seriously and I'm going to do something that prepares me to fight the enemy. I'm going to fast. Or I'm going to spend a particular amount extra time in prayer. I'm going to spend more time in God's Word. I'm going to spend extra time doing stuff for other people. For 40 days is not going to be the pattern for the whole year. That's what's cool about it. You can give an extra push on those things. Um, for the next 40 days, I'm going to do those things. Uh, maybe also focus, traditionally Christians are focused on giving money to the poor as well. Uh, an extra focus on helping the poor. And spend the next 40 days thinking about those things. But also I want to challenge you as well. How much in the rest of your life, throughout the rest of the year, are you passive in your approach to spiritual warfare? Rather than being active, rather than being disciplined. God's saying, actually, take a disciplined approach. Fast regularly. Think about how can I prepare for temptation? How can I uh, fight these battles? And the really cool thing is, as we, as we do that, as we identify with Christ in these things, we, we don't just get stronger at fighting the enemy. We also tap into that joy of overcoming sin as well. That's a really, really good thing. So that's the first really simple point. I said it's going to be quite straightforward today. 
Okay, but moving from the general to the specific, one way we can prepare and one way we can uh, prepare for spiritual warfare is to think about these three temptations of Christ. They're really, really significant in what they represent. There's something symbolic about Jesus' time in the wilderness. It's symbolic of his whole humiliation, you know, his descent from glory and from heaven and being with the Father and being with us. He's entering into our wilderness and entering into our experience as human beings, entering into our, even into our temptation. Um, and it says in verse 13 that the devil didn't just tempt him in these three ways, but he tempted him in every way. And the book of Hebrews backs that up. It says that he was tempted in every way like us, so that we know that we have a mediator who identifies with our, with our struggles, which is an amazing thing in itself. But these, um, these three temptations show us, if you like, the most basic areas where the enemy will attack us. They show us, if you like, the, the most strategic parts of our life where we need to be aware that the devil is going to come and tempt us. That's why he tempted Jesus like this. There's no point in him tempting on minor, Jesus on minor things. He knew he was in for, a, in for a fight, so he went for the big things. And, and that's really helpful for us because we can see kind of laid out for us a strategy for how to, uh, how to fight that fight. He wants to undermine our faith. He wants to undermine our relationship with God. And we see through these three things how he might do that. But on top of that, they don't just show us how the devil might attack us. They don't just show us the, the sort of strategic points where he might come and tempt you. They also show us, because he's tempting us in those particular places, they show us the three really important parts of our relationship with God as well. So I want to invite you this morning, just like we did when we did the Ten Commandments, we didn't just look at these commands as, you shall not do this. We kind of flipped them around and said, actually, what's the fulfillment of the law? Why is this, why are these ten commandments so important? It's not just because if you break them, really bad things will happen. But if you fulfill those commands, if you look at what God is aiming for in Christ, then they're incredibly life-giving. Like that, these three temptations, if you flip them around, it's not just the case of the devil trying to attack us because we're weak there. But if you flip them around, actually they show us what's really rich and important, uh, some really rich and important parts of our relationship with God. Does that make sense? So we're kind of looking, you know, we've got to get into that habit of not just looking at God's words as kind of obedient servants who want to do God's will. We've got to look at it as sons who really want to fulfill his will and to be like Christ. And, and if we do that, if we, we look at these temptations and flip them around and think, what is the fulfillment of this? What is the devil trying to rob us of? Um, then we'll do well. Well, I want to just consider one of those temptations this morning, basically just to keep the sermon shorter. <laughs> it's not just that, actually. It's also, I just feel like this is the one that God would really speak to us about. But I, after we're finished, I, you know, I invite you in the, com- in the week to come, in your home groups and so on, to look at those other two temptations and to think about them in the same way. What's the weakness that, that the devil's trying to attack? What's the fulfillment that God wants to give us of, of, of that thing? So just we're going to just look at the first temptation, which is really uh, it's the shortest. It's just a few lines. Verse 3. The devil says to Jesus, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. He's reading from, uh, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 8.3. And there's an interesting, this is kind of a side point really. 
But often you'll hear it said, and I don't think this is a bad point to take from this, this passage at all. Often you'll hear it said that Jesus was doing a Bible study of Deuteronomy at the time. So these passages were fresh in his mind. You heard that one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, just me and Nick. <laughs> Maybe, you know, that was his, sort of what he's reading in his quiet time. And so he was using the scripture that was fresh in his mind to combat the devil. That's what you should do. Okay. That's what you should do. That's a really good point. Like, if you spend time in God's word, you'll be well equipped to fight the enemy. That's really good. I'm not sure Deuteronomy was what Jesus was doing in his quiet time up until the 40 days in the wilderness. I think that may be kind of reading into the Bible a little bit, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but there is something really important going on here. The verse he quotes from is uh, in Deuteronomy 8. It's when uh, God is speaking through Moses to the, to the people and he's saying, I tested you for 40 years in the wilderness to see if you would obey me. So Jesus is, is, is deliberately referencing, he's identifying with Israel in 40 years in the wilderness. And he's showing actually what's happening here is it's a mirror image. Do you know that um, from Sinai to the promised land was basically a 40 day walk. And Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. So I don't know, the sat wasn't working. We know, actually, we know the reason why. They were disobedient to God. Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness, and that shows his obedience in contrast to Israel. So he's the one who fulfills all those things. He's the fulfillment of Israel. He's being tested in the wilderness just like they were, actually probably in the same ways that they were. If I was preaching all three points, we'd probably go into that more. He's tested in the same ways as the people of Israel were tested, and yet he is victorious, not through a struggle, not through a kind of like, oh, will I or won't I? But a kind of decisive, kind of, he just comes back with the word of God. He's, he's wonderfully, mightily victorious over the temptation of the enemy. And let me just say as a side note, that is what's available to us as Christians. That uh, if the devil comes into our lives and he tempts us in particular ways, there's no reason for us to despair. But actually we can be wonderfully victorious, decisively victorious over the, the attacks of the enemy. Which is great news, isn't it? Okay. What's going on in this temptation? Really, it's very, very simple. And it's something that each of us can, I think, identify with. The devil is basically asking Jesus the question, the same question he'd ask you, if you could change your circumstances by disobeying God, would you? Anyone ever been tempted like that? Put your hand in the air. If you could change your circumstances by disobeying God, would you? Okay, about a third of you. I'm surprised. I think I thought it'd be like 100%, but there we go. You're better than I thought you were. <laughs> if you could change your circumstances by disobeying God, would you? This is, it's, this is not complicated theology. This is not convoluted preaching for you guys this morning. You know, this is pretty straightforward. You're lonely. You want company. You're struggling to find a Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. What are you going to do? You're going to go on the dating scene and end up in a relationship, a dead-end relationship with someone who's not a Christian, you're going to live with them or whatever. Are you going to obey God or are you not going to obey him? Are things tight financially and you're running a business? Are you going to put all your money through the books or are you going to take a little bit to the side? Straightforward, isn't it? You want to watch a movie with the kids and it's still in the cinema and you know you can get it online for free. Are you going to download it or are you going to wait till it's released? Big things, small things. Your parents are being unreasonable, young, younger ones. Well, you think they are. They're probably not. 
Are you going to go behind their backs and disobey them? Or are you going to honor your mother and father like the Bible says? So you, if you could change your circumstances by breaking God's law, would you do it? And for some of you, the devil has been tempting you, even in the last week, in just that way. I guarantee it, because he does it to me every week, but every day. He tempts me in the same way, in lots of little ways and big ways. Will you disobey God to change your circumstances? The devil is busy, and his minions are busy. It's great to be able to use the word minions in context, by the way, isn't it? (laughs) His minions are busy. Just with this really simple temptation. And you know, the funny thing is, it seems so small, doesn't it? But what, will you change this loaf of, this stone into a loaf of bread? It doesn't seem like a really big thing. I'm not sure. I have, I'm not sure. I haven't memorized the whole of the Old Testament law. But I'm pretty sure there is no specific proscription against turning stones into bread. Anyone know any different? I don't know. Maybe we'll come back to that. It seems small. And often the devil's temptation will be small. Will you break this small law? Will you tell that white lie? Will you take that thing that no one will miss? Will you do that thing that no one will ever find out about? Why does he tempt us in such small ways? Is it because he's not ambitious? Is it because he's not really the destroyer of your soul, the one who wants to take you away from heaven and rob you of eternal life? No, he is incredibly ambitious and powerful and persistent. He's tactical. And he knows that if he can get you to doubt God's goodness in one small way, he has a way into your whole whole life. That's his tactic. That's his tactic. If you break God's law in a little way, you're not just doing a small thing wrong. That's the wrong way to think about it. You see, we're not Christians because we follow a list of rules. We're Christians that we have a, because we have a relationship with God through Christ. And our relationship is one of loyalty and trust and obedience. It's, it's like having a friend. It's like being married. And that little thing is enough to undermine that trust and loyalty. What the devil really wants you to do is he wants you to, to break that bond of loyalty to Christ. To undermine his lordship in your life. What he's actually trying to get you to admit is, I don't trust God enough to give me what I need. If Jesus had turned that Stone into bread. That's what he would have been saying. I don't trust my father enough to give me what I need. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. That's what Israel did in the wilderness, wasn't it? That's how they sort of struggled, probably failed in their temptation. They're in the wilderness, hungry and thirsty, and they didn't just cry out to God, Lord, we're hungry, please feed us. They, they, they rebelled against him. They said to him, you've led us into the wilderness to die. <laughs> I don't know if you, have you ever been in that situation where you're so desperate for some good thing to happen and you just feel like God has led you into a wilderness to die because you're in, in a place you think, God, I need this particular thing and you're not giving it to me. That's when the enemy will come and say, you need to take that for yourself. But that trust in God is the foundation of your relationship. And God's reply, really, and Jesus is Jesus' reply, do you trust me enough? Do you trust me enough not to take that for yourself? Do you trust me enough, even in the small ways, the small things, not to take that for yourself? You know, it's not the big temptations 
really. By the time they come along, it's either, re- they're either really obvious and they're easy to bat away, or you're too far gone. <laughs> you know, It's the small things, the things that maybe no one else will notice. And I, I, God's word to us this morning is just that challenge is, How's your trust in God to provide for you in everything? In your financial security, in your emotional health, in your work life, in your family life. For all your needs, he's there for you. He loves you. And it's a timely word because there'll be some of you here today that the enemy is specifically saying, you need to take that for yourself. And he's a liar. So there's the devil's first aim in that temptation. Turn this stone into bread. He's saying to Jesus, admit that you need, God needs help. Admit that you need to take something for yourself. But there's, there's something bigger going on too. There's something bigger going on too. The temptation is... Actually, quite starkly, I said it was like a magic trick. Actually, that's really what the devil is doing, isn't it? He's trying to get Jesus to do magic. I don't know if you've ever heard it preached this way. I'm sorry if it sounds a bit weird. It sounds a bit weird to me saying it out loud. <laughs> but that is what he's trying to do. He's trying to get him to turn a stone into bread. And it's really interesting, when you go back into the Old Testament law, that actually things like magic and sorcery, they're, they're not just poo-pooed as nothing. They're actually specifically forbidden, aren't they? They're forbidden in the strongest of terms. They're called abominations. Why should that be? Why why did God go through the bother of saying to his people, don't do this thing you know, that many people don't even think is, is real or has any power? Why would God do that? Well, it's to do with the nature of his word, the nature of, of reality itself. You see, God's word is not just confined to scripture. The Bible itself says that his word is, is spoken to us through everything that he made. So the world that he presents to us in all its beauty and complexity and all the stuff that's hard to understand and everything else is God's word to us where he says, I'm going to give you everything you need. And even not just everything that exists, but even everything that happens, God is speaking to us. He says God made everything through the word and upholds all things through his word. So his word is what is real. Does that make sense? His word is what is real. And what does sorcery do? What is magic an attempt to do? What is astrology an attempt to do? What is fortune telling an attempt to do? It's an attempt to undermine the, what God has given us in what's actually real. It's trying to break the boundaries of the real world, isn't it? Actually, if, hopefully you'll never have any cause to study or, or investigate or find anything else about magic or anything like that. But... Uh, recently a guy came to Sussex Gospel Partnership, he's written a whole PhD on this stuff. And what he shows is that the breaking of natural boundaries, the desecration of the created order, is actually at the heart of all pagan practice. All magical, all attempts to to do black magic and uh, stuff like that. It's all to do with the breaking of natural boundaries. So in the Old Testament you get your... Sorcery is forbidden, fortune telling is forbidden, all magic is forbidden, all is abominations. And sexual deviance is also called an abomination as well, because it's, it's a rejection of the goodness of the created order and a desecration of natural boundaries. They reject the world God has made 
and they seek to exercise a mastery over it. It's actually the same temptation as this, will you turn this stone into bread? If you had the power to change the world around you and do whatever you wanted to do, because God wasn't giving you what you needed, would you do it? Now, most of us are never going to be in a realistic place to, to take that temptation seriously. But actually, it's a really, really important question to ask ourselves. If you could, would you change the world around us? Jesus' reply, which isn't recorded in Luke, but it's there in Deuteronomy and the other Gospels, is not just, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, that's a timely word for our culture as an aside, isn't it? Actually, I say not many of us are going to be in a position to change our reality, but that is the very thing that's being promoted in our culture, isn't it? Around issues like gender and sexuality. Uh, through the advancement of technology. You know, I think things are pretty scary now. I think in 20 years, with the advances in technology and breakdown of what it means, people's understanding what it means to be human, actually some of these temptations are going to get an awful lot more real for people. Why does God want us to run away from them? Why does the devil want, us, why does the devil want to attack us in that particular area? Behind this temptation is a wonderful truth that God wants to give to us. When the person becomes a Christian, they enter into the Son's relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And what God gives to us through his word, through everything that happens, is, uh, is his love. He speaks his love to us through every situation. Everything that exists and everything that happens in our lives, no matter how confusing or complicated, no matter how hurtful or beautiful, everything that happens, happens through Christ and is God's, the Father's word to us, which is, I love you. Now Jesus, as the Son of God, walked perfectly in that love all the time. He knew perfectly and fully that the Father loved him. Even at the moment of uh, the desecration on the cross, even at the moment of um, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew that his father loved him. Now that's a mystery. It's very hard for us to make sense of that. It's very hard to us, for us to understand the relationship between suffering and knowing that God loves us. But here's a promise to, to you that if you're a Christian, no matter what happens to you, as we sung this morning in Romans 8, no matter what happens to you, no matter what circumstances come your way, God is always speaking one and one only one message to you, loud and clear, that Jesus Christ is in the process of enabling you to hear, and that message is what? I love you. This is a tremendous promise, a wonderful treasure of the Christian life, that no matter what happens, no matter what occurs in your life, no matter what situation you face, God is always speaking this incredible truth to you. I love you. I love you. That's an amazing inheritance, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful thing? (laughs) Nothing can happen that will take us away from his love. We are always in his loving arms. We get to be like Jesus in that way and other ways too. But we're not talking about those this morning. The devil wants to tell you when you're faced with trials, difficulties, suffering, 
He wants to, uh, when you're faced with temptation, he wants to tell you that either God is not good enough to love you like that. He's lying. Or he loves you, but he's not really that powerful and you probably need to take things into your own hands. That's the devil's temptation. Either God doesn't really love you like that or he's not actually all that powerful. The opposite is true. God loves you. He's all powerful. And the wonderful thing about this is, not only is that an inheritance that we grow into, but it is a way of navigating our Christian life. It enables us to understand the things that happen to you. You know, if, if you're feeling, like we're talking about a sense of despair, has anyone ever been through a season where what, God seems far away? And you think, God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why have you gone so far away from me? You ever felt like that? Well, the one answer that cannot be true is he doesn't love you and he's not powerful enough to rescue you from this. That's the one thing that cannot be true. And knowing that is not true will enable you to navigate that situation. Has anyone here ever been through suffering where you just, you know, I don't know whether it's a toothache or something much, much worse than that, where you're just like, God, why is this continuing? What on earth can be the good in this? You know, the one answer that is not true I used to be, because that's, that's the last time I cried out to God like that. <laughs> I had a terrible tea for, for like three weeks. I was like, Lord, what is the point? <laughs> the one answer that can't be true is that God doesn't love me. Or that he's not powerful enough to rescue me. And knowing that is just the most amazing thing. You know, I was talking to a guy recently who just had the most, just the most heartbreakingly wonderful conversion. The guy was a, he was a drug addict. He was a drug dealer. He was like, Grew up in a Christian home, you've rejected God, you've done all sorts of terrible stuff. And he'd heard the gospel preached and he got saved like that. Instantly released from all that stuff and transformed like character download, like the Matrix. It was like, you know, in an instant he was just a different person. And he's going on with God, he's like on fire for God, evangelizing, people getting saved, he was going into ministry, it's just awesome. And God has delivered him from all these things. And yeah, he was sharing with me, God has left him with one thing. Just like one small thing that carries on from his old life. It's not a big thing. But he's like, why? (laughs) Why would God deliver me from cocaine addiction? (laughs) Or alcoholism? Or whatever it is. Why would he deliver me from all those things in a second and leave this one thing in my life? Well, the answer cannot be that he's not powerful enough, can it? God is powerful enough to deliver us from every evil, instantly if he wants to. It can't be that he's not good enough. Because through the cross, God has declared for us absolutely, unfailingly, that he loves us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Knowing that enables, you know, I was able to talk to this guy and say, if we know those things, then we know that God has a purpose in allowing us to continue. He's not causing you to sin, but he's... Allowing you to go through this trial so that you will learn something about his love. So you'll learn something about yourself. Probably so you'll learn to hate that sin for the sake of others. And you'll learn to love the opposite for the sake of others. God's purpose is to turn us into sons, isn't it? Who love the things that he loves. Sons who hate the things that he hates. And therefore we do the things that he loves. And run away from the things that he hates. So I was able to share that with him. And, you know, I think just that's just one example. Knowing God is sovereign 
all-powerful and all-loving. It's like, a, it's like a key on a map that helps us to navigate our whole Christian life. So why was there no bread after 40 days? Jesus knew the answer. It's not because my father doesn't love me. And it's not because he couldn't give it to me in an instant. You know, he fed Elijah, didn't he, in the desert? Through birds, like ravens, I think. Bring, bringing food to Elijah. He could have done the same for Jesus. He gave the Israelites bread in the wilderness. He could have done that for Jesus. And he didn't. Why? Because he loved them. Because he loved them. So why are you in the situation you're in? Whatever it is. Because he loves you. That's absolutely no doubt. Whatever you're going through, whatever challenge or trial you're facing, whatever temptation there is, whatever disappointment or hurt or suffering you're going through, the answer is still, he loves you. I love you, says God. So how should we respond when we're tempted like this? Well, not through disobedience, obviously. I think that's probably fairly straightforward. The end. <laughs> not through turning stones into bread. We, we don't have the power to just take and shape reality. Most of us don't. But actually, God is speaking to our, to our hearts. And he's saying, Do you know what? it doesn't really matter if you don't have the power of the Son of God to change instantly the things in front of you into whatever you want. The truth is, what's really important is what's going on in your heart. When something comes along that you don't like, that is unpleasant to experience in whatever way, it's your heart. God, if I had the power to change this, I would change it in an instant. Or is it, God, I know that you love me. Help me to respond as your child. That's what Jesus did. He responds with God's own words back to him. Like an obedient son, full of faith. Man does not live by bread alone. All the different situations that face us, you know, thousands upon thousands in just this, this room of 50 of us or so. It's not, I, I can't give you the son-like or the, child, uh, the son of God-like response to every situation you face. But the question is, where's your heart? Just you, All God wants us to do is say, Lord, I want to be like Jesus and whatever I face, I want to resp- respond with childlike faith. We can be faithless even if we can't change stones into bread. Often we don't have the courage to do what's wrong, even if we have the opportunity. Yet God wants our hearts. He wants our inclinations. He wants us to respond with faith. Just imagine how hungry you would be after 40 days of not eating. (laughs) How overwhelming the desire to do what the devil said would be. And yet he res- Jesus responded with faith. That's what God calls us to do. So when we're persecuted, we love. When we feel abandoned, we take courage and we carry on, knowing that God is with us. When we're tempted, we obey him. When we're tired, we know that he can give us strength and we cry out to him. When we're poor, we trust in his favour for the poor. When we're sick, we look for the fruit of God in there. We ask him, Lord, help me in this difficult situation to respond with faith.
You know, I'll just finish with this. What is wonderful is this isn't just about your spiritual survival. That's the really cool thing. This isn't just about making it into heaven. It's not just, it's, it's not just about surviving temptation. See, uh, it said the last verse of our reading is, uh, the, the devil left him until an opportune time. And the opportune time, the one that we know about, is he, the devil came back uh, during Jesus' passion in the lead up to his crucifixion, at his crucifixion. And he's there surrounding him, isn't he? Taunting him through the mouths of others and the actions of others, through the faithlessness of his disciples, through the uh, deceit and rejection of, of Judas, through all those things. The devil is there tempting and taunting at, the, at that moment, that crucial moment in his life. And this, this walking into the wilderness is Jesus' active preparation so that when it comes to the crunch, when the really, really big thing is there, he's able to stand and overflow with life for the many. This is the good thing. This is the amazing promise. Not just that you will stand. Not just that you can overcome temptation. Not just that you can have the joy of defeating the enemy. Not just that you can have the sun-like experience of knowing that God loves you in every circumstance. But the life of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can flow out of you and bless others if you stand against the enemy. That's the really cool thing. It's not just about whether you will fall or not. It's about your fruitfulness. God wants to bless others through you, like he blessed the world through Christ. He wants to change lives. He wants to see people saved. He wants uh, communities transformed. He wants families restored. He wants truth proclaimed. He wants the whole world sanctified with the blood of Christ, the the glory of God, doesn't he? And he's going to do it for each one of you. If we go with Christ into the wilderness, if we overcome trials with faith, if we seek that training in righteousness, we get to storm the enemy's kingdom. That vision that the enemy, uh, that the, the devil showed to Jesus of all, all the societies of men, the whole of human culture, he displays of cities and citadels, I guess, walls and houses and businesses and all the glory of mankind. Then he said, the devil said, that's all mine. 2,000 years later, Jesus is well into the business of overthrowing that principalities and powers of the enemy, isn't he? Casting down strongholds, setting people free, breaking open prisons. And he invites us to join with him. We get to see the kingdom of the enemy crumble and the new Jerusalem of Christ established in the world around us. Whole swathes of the world still walk in darkness. Yet they're coming into the light. People you know live in darkness. And God wants to reach them through you. Through your triumph over sin. He will reach them. He wants us to enjoy the riches of joining with Christ. The glory of Christ is seeing soul after soul coming Joining that great multitude, tribe after tribe, and tongue after tongue, and nation after nation, bowing down before Christ and worshipping him. And that's the wonderful privilege God invites us into. Amen. Let's pray.